Welcome back to Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. How are you, Chuck Kaplinski? Oh, I am just fantastic. How are you? I am just peachy. Peachy. Peachy keen. Um, jelly bean. <laughs> yeah, talk, talking about these old timey kinds of sayings. Let's start off by reviewing one of the bigger movies that we have in theaters right now. Killers. Yeah, we're of- jumping into this. No small talk or anything. No small talk. Yeah, we're just we're it. just going by it. Yes, we're going. Let's go. Okay, Killers going. of the Flower Moon, Martin Scorsese. Um, you know, I, I thought that I knew this story and turns out I didn't. Did and, you read the book? No, I did not. Um, I really need to, to what I would love to do, and I did this for a while when I first started doing film criticism. Uh, I, I used to look at what was going to be coming out in theaters and then I would buy the book so I could read the book beforehand. But then I realized that generally the book is better than the movie and that made every single review that I wrote a bad one which I don't think is fair so I don't do that anymore I can understand that I I remember I did the same thing once when the Harry Potter movies started and I also it it, it ruined the surprise for me yeah yeah I, I you know I'd like to go and be surprised at these films and you know try and stay out of it so yeah it's it's a double-edged sword and this one though um, I think you could have gotten away with reading it and I'm going to try it again. I couldn't get into it the first time I, I, I started. Uh, but I mean, being fact-based, I wonder if that's, you know, has the same effect as reading a, a piece of fiction that you then see adapted into a movie. Right. And, and I, I think what we'll find from what I've read from other people and what I've heard Scorsese say is that the film takes the story from um, Molly's perspective played by Lily Gladstone when in actuality, I don't know that it really, it's her story along with Leonardo DiCaprio. He plays Ernest Burkhart, um, them as a couple and how Robert De Niro's character of William Hale interferes with their lives and and basically uh, what happens with the entire Osage tribe. Yeah, from um, what I read about the book, I mean, and this whole thing dealt with like 60 different murders. yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, we're, we're, they're just the tip of the iceberg here, but I think that's really all you need to figure out exactly what's going on and what the whole purpose was. Right, right. And and I think, you know, with the running time, and I don't want to dissuade people from seeing this in the theater because it is a gorgeously shot film. You would expect that from Scorsese, and it is. Um, it takes place in Oklahoma. I'm not sure if they actually filmed there or not, but you feel like you're out in the plains and um, you're an oil country and the the cinematography definitely brings you, transports you not only into that environment, but back into the early 1900s. Um, but it is when you throw trailers and most movie theaters have 20 to 25 minutes worth of trailers, you're talking about that's a four hour commitment, not to mention parking and driving to wherever it is that you go to see it. So my recommendation is don't go to an evening showing like I did where they had technical difficulties and had to restart it at 7.30 at night and my bedtime is 9 p.m. Go to a matinee. Um, This is an Apple TV movie, so I'm sure that it will be on Apple TV, but I don't know when that's going to happen. Do you know that? 45 days. In 45 days. Okay. Um, See this in the theater, but if you're like me and you have a hard time with sitting still for four hours, go to a matinee. Um, and my also my my recliner didn't work 
And so I had to throw my feet over the other armchair because there were only 10 people in the theater, which is kind of crazy. I felt like I, I, there were fewer people at the screening than there are at our critic screenings, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, you know, I don't want to be one to, because I hate when people say, oh, it's too long, I can't go see that. Uh, so I don't want to dissuade people either. However, I mean, Scorsese is a student of film and he knows that back you know, in the 30s and the 50s, when there were these really long films, they would put in an intermission. Right. And right. I'm not sure why he didn't do that. I mean, I that agree. Was very welcome. There are obvious points where you could break, you know, get up, stretch your legs, go to the bathroom, get a refill. You know, I, I think it would just make for a bit. And again, I don't mind movies that are long that don't seem long. Gone with the Wind is almost four hours. It's not long to me. Right. Same. Yeah. Titanic is over three. It's not long to me. Oh, that one's really long. Keep me interested <laughs> and, and keep me engaged and keep things moving along. Then it doesn't matter what the running time is. This one felt too long to me because I found it to be repetitious. I mean, once we establish what's going on here, right? these white men are marrying these Osage women and then slowly or however, killing them so that they can get the rights to the oil. That's established. Right. It becomes very repetitious. We see this happening again and again and again. It's like, okay, come on, let's move to the end game here. I see what's happening. What is the result of this? Right. I would agree with you. And it does become repetitious in the center. And I had the same thought as you, the old fashioned intermissions and even Quentin Tarantino in um, what was that movie? had an intermission, whatever it was. They all run together for me for Quentin Tarantino. Um, and then I also thought, you know, this would have been a really cool limited series mm -hmm. where you did, you know, maybe four to six episodes, but then the writing is different for episodic versus movies. And Scorsese is a movie writer. So I'm not sure how that would play out. But those are the things that, that fell into my mind because this is an incredible story of the early 1900s when the Osage tribe was on a reservation, they had the wherewithal, um, I guess maybe the distrust and knowledge and in, 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 uh, saged wisdom to buy the land under which they were residing on this reservation. So they owned it and they also owned the mineral rights. Well, they struck it rich and they now own the rights to all the oil that was beneath them. And they basically buried literally and figuratively their traditional ways and lived among white people. They were one of the wealthiest people in the nation. The wealthiest in the world. In the world. Okay. Per capita. Per capita. Oh, okay. All right. Per capita. All right. Yeah. Well, that's a really small town. So that, that does take well, that into consideration, but they were super wealthy. Here's the weird thing. And, and I, I missed some of these nuances. I don't know if I missed them or they weren't in the movie, but the Osage people um, didn't have control over their money. They had a guardian and typically it was a white male that had guardianship over how they spent their money. Okay. That needed to be clarified more. I did some reading. If you were full bred, then you did not have a guardian if you were uh, full, but if you were only partially Osage, then one of the, the tricks that the government came in and did was that, oh, well, you're not going to be responsible for your money. So you need a white guardian. So okay. yeah, that was one of white of the white man's tricks to try and get the money away from them. Okay. And they were called incompetent. And then they mm -hmm. had a number. I mean, talk about degrading, you know? Yeah. Um, 
and, and that, again, that's something that I, I had a problem with in the film too. I needed more of the culture. Right. I really needed more of the culture. They touch on it. We get little pieces, but I, I, I felt that that was lacking. Right. I, I would agree with you. And that's why I had to go back and do a little reading too and understand that there was this guardianship. And also to understand that, you know, reservations um, typically belonged to the government that was just like loaned to the Native American people. And for some reason, the Osage people, a few years before they struck it rich, they purchased and had the rights to the land. So I had to read about that. I didn't I didn't understand that from the movie either. I didn't know that until you just told me. Okay. Okay. Good. I'm Thank glad you, I can yeah. impart that Thank on you. you. That's good. <laughs> um, so we've got uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, who is not the brightest bulb in the box. He's come back from World War One, and his uncle, played by Robert De Niro, William Hale, um, has employed him in the role of being a driver. So he goes into town. Ernest goes into town, and he ends up being a, a taxi cab driver, basically, for Molly Burkhart, who he falls in love with. That's played by Lily Gladstone. Well, she's super wealthy, and William Hale, Bill, Bill Hale, wants him to be a little bit more than just smitten with this Molly. He wants him to insinuate himself into the family so that they can have the money. And as you alluded to before, this turns super dark and a lot of these Osage people end up dying with zero investigation. They do a really good job of, of showing that in the very beginning, how many people are just offed in plain sight in daylight and no investigation whatsoever. Um, yeah, old as brass, as they used to say. Yeah, it's it's so we watch how this goes deeper and deeper and deeper into the the greed of Bill Hale and how stupid Ernest is and going along with his ploys and he screws things up left and right. And um, his wife, then wife, Molly, um, is extremely concerned. She's very bright and she wants answers. And she ends up going to Washington, D.C. and begging um, those that are in power to help her. Um, I didn't realize how important I mean, you never see J. Edgar Hoover portrayed in a positive light. You never hear a good story that he's done. You always hear about his paranoia, his conspiracy, how he was cruel and horrible to everybody. But he did something right here. He employed um, Tom White, played by Jesse Plemons, to lead an investigation there. And then we have the the truths be told. I don't want to give too much away, but that's the the bare bones, no pun intended, of this story. Um I think this is one of De Niro's best performances as of late, not a, overall, but a, as of late. What do you I think? I agree. I, I, th I think he should. I hope he's nominated for a supporting Oscar and maybe even wins because this is a subtle performance. Right? I mean, this, the evil that this man has. He tricked me. It's just so insidious. And so it's just matter of fact. Right. Hiding in plain sight. It's just matter of fact. He says that they, he's the Osage's friends. And then when he puts these seeds in his nephew's mind, it just seems to be happenstance more than anything. He's completely corrupt. And I don't know if De Niro based him on Trump or not, but that whole thing at the end in which he's dictating letters, I mean, he doesn't even realize, or to him, he has done nothing wrong. 
Right. He's nothing wrong at all. It is the white man's um, place to be able to do with any that he seems uh, that that they deem as less than them to do what they want. Right. He he is completely justified in his mind with what he does, and I I think it's a really subtle, powerful performance. I was completely taken with him in this film. I, I was as well. And I have to say, I mean, there's not a, a weak link in this cast. Let's face it, you know, take a look at the star power we have here. Leonardo DiCaprio does an amazing job. You always think of him as being the twinkle in your eye, kind of suave and and smart. And he's not in this one. He's kind of, he, he, he describes himself in this role as being lazy. And, and, and playing stupid is difficult. It is. It and is. He does a good job. He's he's a step behind everyone here in this, in this film. Right. And, and you see his reaction when the light bulb does come on, but it's it's way too far behind. But mm -hmm. you see his reaction. And and again, a very subtle performance. And talk about it. another difficult role is Lily Gladstone playing Molly. That is a very measured and very specific type of performance that somehow she pours so much emotion and heart into something that could have been very flat, but it wasn't. I loved her performance in this. And one thing I didn't understand about the film, um, you know, it's a true story. So it is what it is, but I couldn't figure out what she saw in him. His blue she's eyes. Smarter, she's smarter than him. She, yeah. She does say blue eyes. She does say he's good looking, but man, other everything else, she is head and shoulders above, above. Oh yeah, and it just seems an odd match. I and I don't know, maybe that was something else I wanted to build a bit, bit more information on, as far as how the Osage sees the sees the whites. Would that be seen as a? I can't imagine that marrying a white man would be seen as something that moves you up the social ladder within the Osage community, or is it? I don't right. know. Because that was a big question I had. I'm like, what are you doing with this guy? Right. I, I would quite agree with that. She was so much smarter than him. Um, he had the manipulation uh, gene, though, whereas she did not. She was very transparent, very upfront and didn't lie. And he was a master of that. He learned from the best. He learned from his Uncle Bill. Um We've been saying a lot of critical things about this movie. And I don't want to come off as though I don't like the film. I like it. I think it's good. I don't think it's great. Um, and, and I guess it frustrates me because I wanted great. Um, Jesse Plemons' character. I wanted more of that. I wanted more of their investigation as to how they, we see some of it, but I really wanted them to delve a bit more deeper into how they got all the facts together and finally put this case together. Right. Uh, and maybe it's also because it's Plemons and I like him so much. Right. And, shows up pretty late. And I loved his performance here too. Well, and, and I think maybe, you know, we could have gotten a little bit more of that. We could have gotten a little bit more about the, the prosecution. We might've been able to delve more deeply into um, Molly's sister's lives and, and perhaps even her mother's life. Had this have been a, a limited series as opposed to a movie. Um, I, I really, for, for me to go to a 7.30, hour movie, 7.30 p.m. movie, and not fall asleep says a lot. This, I was, I was captivated the whole time. I cared about these characters. I was duped by um, William Hale. I thought he was a good guy. He spoke the language. I, you know, 
thought that Ernest was somebody that he wasn't. I mean, I was duped by the, all these people too. So that tells you what good actors they are, that they were able to, I felt like I was actually watching these things unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I loved it. I really did. I just think that we're, we are missing some pieces of the puzzle. Um, oh, I know what I wanted to say um, with uh uh, I believe it's Molly and um, her, one of her children is still alive. And really? Yes. And she was, there was an interview that I read, I'm paraphrasing. So do not quote me on this. Um, she said that, um, I believe she said that her parents, she wanted this to be more of a, a love story because they truly did love one another. Um, as sick as it sounds. There truly was a love there. And I believe she wanted to see more from her mom's perspective. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. I would too. Hour she falls out of sight. Yeah. 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 I would agree. So there you have it. Definitely. I think you actually liked it more than I did, which surprises me. And again, I liked it. I just didn't love it. Yeah. And, and I, I like it whenever, and I do, I love the fact that Hollywood can find these stories that we should know about, you know, a lot of, Black history movies, a lot of different stories that are out there that we really should know about and we don't. Um, So I, you know, when you can bring a story like this to the forefront and have it be a a topic of conversation and people know about it, this is a part of our history. This is a really ugly part of our history, but we need to know the good and the bad. And um, I'm, I'm grateful for Scorsese to bring this to us. Yeah, good deal. All right, Chucky, what you got? What you want to talk about? Um, when we talk about the burial, because I know there's another movie we want we want to talk about, but I know you were very taken with it, so I'm going to let you do that one. But uh, the burial was pretty predictable. But that being said, that doesn't mean I didn't like it. Um, when you've got you know Jamie Fox and Tommy Lee Jones in a film together. I mean, how bad can it can it be? I mean, yeah, they can screw things up. But this one, this one really was, I thought, very well done. Uh, it's based on a true story uh, about a funeral home director of all things. I mean, named Jeremiah O'Keefe, played by Tommy Lee Jones, who gets in over his head uh, financially, and he owns like eight funeral homes in the South. And uh, finds that he's made a couple bad investments. He's trusted someone he shouldn't. He's about to lose everything. And then he gets in, into bed with the devil. Uh, this guy by the name of Ray Lowen, who owns 11,000 funeral homes in the United States. And he's based in Canada. And this guy is unconscionable, as you see in the film. But O'Keefe is desperate. He decides to sell him three of his funeral homes. And without getting into all the the legal technicalities let's just say that the the uh the the deal goes bad it goes sideways to the point where o'keefe has got to bring a suit against him and he goes outside uh of normal channels he is uh he's advised by this young lawyer lawyer named hal dawkins actor's name is momudo ate boy i really was impressed with this kid isn't he wonderful he is great. He says, let's let's think outside the box. He's been watching TV and he watches an episode of Rich Styles of the of uh, of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Right, right. And there's a segment on this lawyer named William Willie Gary, and that's who the Jamie Foxx is. He apparently was is 
the best of the best where it comes to personal injury law and cases. And he's made gazillions of dollars for himself as well as his clients. And he says, you know what? Let's go this route. Let's see if he can help us. And he's like, I don't take, once they meet him, Gary says, I don't take these cases. This is contract law. This is a personal injury. But he's made to see that in a sense, what happens to O'Keefe really is a personal injury as far as his reputation is concerned, his lifestyle is concerned, and that's how they progress with this case. Um, also, another great role with Journey Smollett. Uh, she plays uh, the uh, attorney for Ray Lewin, Lewin and uh, she's got some nice moments as well. Always like seeing her. Mm -hmm. you, you pretty well know how this whole thing is going to play out. I mean, there's no, there's no question about it. But when you've got Fox and Jones in a film, that ups the ante. Uh, and they each get their moments to shine. Fox has some great moments in which he's uh, convincing various juries about why his clients, whoever they might be, should be awarded all this money. And these are the types of scenes, and the film opens with one, that actors just eat up. Just eat up. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. does a great job in these. And Jones has always been a little bit more low-key, but he gets his moments too. And I think what makes this movie special for me isn't so much the lawsuit, the David and Goliath thing, which we all love to see. Right. The friendship that these two guys end up uh, forming. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't be more different, and they admit that. Uh, but uh, Gary and O'Keefe, they end up finding out that they do have some commonalities as far as their background is concerned. Uh, they do have a common goal once they, you know, get into this whole thing. And 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 just some scenes towards the end where they're just talking with each other, where they meet each other's families. I mean, I think that was the yeah. thing that really kind of pushed me over the edge and say, you know, this is not just another, you know, John Grisham type pot boiler. It has those elements, but this thing really made it, but, but the friendship and everything, the relationship made it, made it more. Uh, and hang around with the credits. We see pictures of the real people and everything like right. that. Always cool to see. It is. But uh, yeah, I really like this one. This one moved along, even though it was over two hours. Uh, and you can find it on Prime. It was uh, an unexpected, uh, unexpected pleasure. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. I thought the performances were incredible. Bill Camp, who plays Ray Lewin, the, the bad oh, guy, if you awful. will. <laughs> he's, he's always awful he always he's always awful kind of he's always really good at awful i bet oh, yeah, he's he just an no absolute doubt. sweetheart in real life uh jamie jamie fox has fun with this role especially in the very beginning as you mentioned um but he's he's got a lot of range with his abilities and he shows it in this as well um check it out on uh, amazon prime and uh, you can thank us later on that one another one that you can thank us for and is jamie and Jamie Foxx produced this film. I don't know if you realize that. Oh, I did not know. The one you're that. about to talk about. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, there you go, Jamie Foxx. Thank you very much for producing Story Ave. Wow. This, this one is, might just make my top 10 list of the year. I, oh, I am thinking about the ending of this. This is yeah. about yeah. a, right? Yeah. This is a, about a teenage boy um Kadir played by Asante Black and for and some that reason kid is good man oh my he... gosh oh my goodness never heard of him before I never had either and he he plays this teenager um in high school he's he's a bright kid with a good future but he's in the wrong neck of the woods in LA and he is New York. in with the wrong group oh New York sorry in New York um he is in with the wrong group and he is 
basically taken under the wing by um, someone he shouldn't be. Schemes is his name, play, played by Melvin Gregg, and he's the head of the of the gang, if you will. And he tells Kadir that he needs to go rob somebody um, at gunpoint and bring back uh, the spoils of his his day. Um, Kadir does not want to do this, but he finds that in order to be a part of this group, he's also suffered a tragedy in his life. His um, older brother with cerebral palsy has passed away. We don't learn exactly how that happened until later in the film, so I'm not going to spoil that for you. Um, but there's a lot of guilt that this young boy is dealing. Oh, I, I start tearing up thinking about that too. Yeah. Um, there's a, yeah. there's a, this, this is one of the most emotional films I think I've seen in a while. Um, and he ends up going on the, the, um, subway and tries to run Louis or Rob Louise played by Luis Guzman. And he happens to be an MTA, MTA employee. And somehow he talks Kadir out of, well, he still robs him, but in a different way. And the two become friends for for various reasons. They both help one another. And this is about the relationship between the two of them and how they help one another. And it is beautiful. This is a this is a movie that I was for the first 20 minutes, I'm like, okay, where are we going here? Where is it going? Let's pick it up. Where what's coming in here? And then as soon as we meet Louise it just takes off. And I was glued. I was connected to these characters. I wanted Kadir to succeed, but I didn't know if he was going to, I didn't know how Luis was going to react to everything. This was something that I was so connected to that. I felt like I was a part of this story. This was beautifully directed, incredibly acted. Um, these characters felt so real, so genuine, so authentic to me that I can't believe that these people are acting. You know, you and I, every day we get uh, emails from uh, smaller studios asking us, hey, would you watch our movie? Will you, can you review our movie? And the only reason I requested this one was because of Luis Guzman. Uh, and if you guys don't know that name, look it up. And as soon as you see his picture, you'll say, oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, right. It's always the best thing in every movie he's in. And seeing that he was going to get a starring role, I was like, yeah. I need to watch this movie and God, I'm glad I requested it. Are you though? Uh, I'm so thank you for doing that because you included me on that. So thank you. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, and you know, it's a quiet film. It's a very quiet film. Those conversations that they have in that diner uh, are, are just so quiet, but so impactful. There's also uh, an actress by name, uh, Coral Pena. She plays Gloria, who is a waitress at this diner where they go. And she's also a photographer. She has a couple of really good moments, too, in which she connects with Kadir. Uh, and and they both have an artist's sensibility that's struggling to get out. And I think that's also a, a key part of the film. Um, yeah, this is one you don't want to give too much away on. It's one that I, I think Pam and I both encourage you to find. We will let you know when it's available on video on demand or other sources. Because I'm telling you, once you get to the end, wow. Yeah. It's all is wow uh i always do I, it might break my top 10 but i always do a list of 10 best scenes of the year that ending will definitely be there because it is haunting it is absolutely haunting really loved it it's beautiful it really is and and how can people see this uh I, it's still it's in video it's in theaters now only a very few theaters but like i say i think on up upcoming episodes we'll let you know when it's available to stream and other things because this one we need to get the word out on 
Absolutely. Story Ave. Don't miss it. Um, yeah. We also had, uh, we came down the tail end of the Chicago International Film Festival. And um, Chuck and I had the uh, honor of interviewing Emerald Fennell, who gave us Promising Young Woman from a couple of years ago. And now she has a new movie out called Saltburn. We're not going to give a review out of that yet, but we had a wonderful interview with her that will be posted closer again to the release of the movie, which I think is around Thanksgiving. And um, I'd like to, if it's okay with you, Chuck, go ahead and I'm going to insert just a little bit of a clip from our interview so that people can get a little tease for what this movie is about and Emerald Finale. Let's stay tuned. I noticed you shot in the old aspect ratio, the more square. Are you suggesting that wealth is a prison of some sort? Gosh, I mean, I think that really what, what we wanted to look at was a place that kind of had stood still in time. These okay. places like Oxford and Saltburn, the estate, they, they tend to be completely timeless. And so there's something very fun about then having the humans in, living inside these places. And a lot of our work was, to, was done to, to actually humanize them, to make them, to give them Livestrong bracelets and <laughs> set it in 2006 and have them sing Flow Riders Low on karaoke and be watching Superbad in the ring. It, it, it's a kind of, a lot of, a lot of the work that we did was to make it feel both unreal and very real at the same time. And when it came to, you know, choosing 133 as our aspect ratio, I, it, it was, it was that the house itself is very tall and square, and a lot of the references that me and Linus were looking at, the amazing cinematographer, were more portraits than landscapes. You know, we were looking at Caravaggio, we were looking at um, Joshua Reynolds and Gainsborough, and the more and more we shot test footage, the more we felt like that aspect ratio. It also means you can go incredibly close. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so when you're, you know, when you're talking about a, a place that is incredibly beautiful and in many ways very artificial, you have to kind of focus, I think, on detail to make it feel real. And, and that's just the same when you're looking at people's faces. Sure. If you're going to go in, I want to see pores and stubble rash and taste buds. And that's what that ratio gives you. It gives you total and utter immersion. Yeah, it was a good conversation. No it really was. Yeah, yeah. It's always good when, you know, it's never an interview, but if it's a conversation, that's better. And um, we also, or not we, you weren't able to make it. You had your son's uh, soccer tournament this Sunday. And I was able to go downtown for the closing night film of the film festival. And that was the bike riders. And I was on the red carpet. And thankfully, the uh, writers and directors strike is no longer with us. Um, and I was able to interview Jeff Nichols, who I really love his films, Take Shelter, Loving. I mean, and, and he also received the artistic award um, at the Chicago International Film Festival as well. And I interviewed him on the red carpet about this incredible film. Um, Chuck, I can't wait for you to see it. It is a Chicago based film about um, he said it's a fictional tale based on some photos and interviews that he found in a book by Danny Lyons. Um, but let me tell you, there's a lot more truth than there is fiction from what I can tell. Let's listen to a little bit of Jeff's interview with me on Sunday. And what a cast. And I know you've talked with everyone else about sure. the cast that you have. I can't imagine getting a 
better all-star cast than you have. Yeah, but did everybody ride a motorcycle before him, uh, or did you have to teach Michael them? Shannon's not allowed to drive a car, much less <laughs> ride a motorcycle. So he sadly didn't didn't ride. Uh, we learned that on Midnight Special. But um, but yeah, a lot of the guys, um, they all came in early, and we had weeks-long training. The tricky thing is all these bikes are period-correct. And okay. it wasn't until the mid-'70s that the United States actually formalized where the clutch and the gas and everything oh. go on a bike. Okay. So these bikes, it was all over the place. And they weigh over 1,000 pounds. And then we had these actors without any helmets on riding at speed. It was an incredibly stressful oh, I bet process. It was. But, um, but they were great. They were all really committed to it. And there are plenty of shots of them all free riding in the movie. Like, it's, it's no CGI. Like, they're really doing it. Oh, that's awesome. Um any idea when this is coming out i know they were talking about maybe moving it because of the actors strike did he have any information on that when you talked to him um they didn't discuss the release date on that so i'm not quite sure if they've um come up with a definitive plan on that yet but i will certainly let everyone know as we learn yeah it's uh, I've, I've just gone to imdb and they've switched it around they don't have another date yet yeah which is a shame because yeah i've been very much looking forward to this one well, I'm going to guess that it will be in theaters around the holidays just because of the incredible performances, especially by the lovely Jodie Comer, who is incredible in this, as is Tom Hardy. But I won't give anything more than that away at this point. All right. Sounds good. All right. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. Um, you can watch our, inter or not our interviews, but you can watch our reviews on CBS 58 here and there, as well as Racine and me. Um, and then you can take a look at our interviews that will be posted when they are available on our YouTube channel. So thanks so much for listening. Please share and have fun at the movies. Take care.